Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So welcome again to another Invested Investor podcast. Today we have a lady that I've known for about four or five years, Fiona Nielsen, who I invested in her company Repositive, as we'll see later. Fiona, do you remember when we first met? <laughs> yes, I do. And um, back then I thought you were not interested at all in what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll probably come to why that was in a few minutes. So let's talk about your background. You're, you're Danish. Can you talk about what you did in Denmark and then why and what caused you to come to the UK? Yeah, sure. So usually when people ask, so what, what is my background? I go like, yeah, way back when I was a programmer because after high school, I went to study computer science because that was the shortest possible education I could get to go and get a real job. So uh, I thought that's easy. I'll, computer science is easy. I'll do that, get a job. So I did that for a while, working as a software developer. And then I realized actually, it's not that interesting to just make websites and databases. I like something that has a bit more meaning to it. And that's when I found the new study of bioinformatics that just uh, popped up in uh, a couple of the universities in Denmark. And I thought actually adding the biology, uh, molecular biology side to the whole informatics and computer science side actually makes it very interesting. And then you can use the computer science to make new breakthroughs in science. And when was this, in the early 2000s? I finished my computer science degree, I finished in 2002, and then I had like half a year where I just did consultancy and web development, stuff like this. And then I quickly found out, okay, I want to add more to it. And then I went to university in Odense to start on a bioinformatics degree. And then you went on to do a PhD as well, didn't you? Yeah, because going from not wanting to go to university at all, it was very interesting. Once I got into it and I thought, okay, yeah, I did a bioinformatics master's in the University of Odense. And then it was so interesting that I wanted to do more projects in bioinformatics. So I ended up saying yes to a PhD opportunity in the Netherlands. So I moved to the Netherlands and started a bioinformatics PhD there. And what was the specific subject there? I was making analysis tools for well, data analysis for genomics, so sequence analysis. The project that I was doing in my PhD was about epigenetics markers, so specifically histone modifications in mouse embryonic stem cells. Okay, I won't pretend to understand that. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, I was still developing software tools, but software tools for a specific scientific application. Excellent. Okay. And then from there, did you actually come over to the UK to work for Illumina, or was there another role in yeah, between? Yeah, I went straight from the Netherlands to Cambridge because I got the job at Illumina in Chesterford, just south of Cambridge. Can you explain Illumina and what they do? Yeah, Illumina is one of the very big biotech companies today, they made a global business of DNA sequencing instruments. So they now sit on maybe 80% of the markets. So it's a very exciting place to work because if you do data analysis, then if you work at Illumina, you sit at the place where all the data comes from. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's one of the success stories in Cambridge, actually, because they bought Selexa, didn't they? Indeed. Which yeah. is why they're, they're present in Cambridge. Yeah. So you're an entrepreneur now. So can we talk through what's happened there at Illumina? Uh, or before that, that actually moved you from being 
in the corporate environment, in quite a big global corporate, to taking the huge risk of starting something up? Yeah, so for me, the personal change was uh, while I was working on my PhD, it was very interesting, very specific, very <laughs> down to the detailed science. But then my mother, she got diagnosed with cancer back in Denmark. And then it was a wake up moment for me because I realized that what I was doing was very far removed from anything that had anything to do with clinical application or even though I was working on genetics and in principle things that could uh, benefit cancer research, it had nothing to do with what was the reality of cancer treatment at that time. And to be honest, to today is not much different, <laughs> even though it's now, what, seven years ago? But that was, as I said, a big wake-up call for me because when I saw the disconnect, I realized that actually this is not that important. It's not right. that important yeah. to work on these nitty-gritty details when, if it doesn't make a change to the patients who are, who are suffering. So I lost interest in my PhD and I actually didn't finish off, uh, submit my thesis. Okay. My supervisor says I can still submit it if I want to. <laughs> and I'm now I'm busy doing other things. But I simply lost interest in my, my thesis and then I looked for what would be the, the next thing for me to do because I couldn't make myself work on this, which no, no longer seemed important to me. So when I saw the opportunity at Illumina where I could work in bioinformatics, work on tool development, but in an environment where the data came from real clinical applications and the purpose was to show how the next generation sequencing could benefit the clinic and yes. make difference for patients. I was like, this is exciting. Mm -hmm. I'd like to work there. And we had several projects at Illumina where we were working directly with either hospitals or genetics clinics, introducing the DNA sequencing technology to their daily work. Uh, so I found that really exciting and that then drew me to the job at Illumina. And you started doing that because of, for strongly social reasons, and your business still is strongly social. But I think you, you decided to set up a social enterprise, didn't you, to start with? Yeah, so when I realized that the data access was the big bottleneck, that was the time when I thought, actually, I'd much rather work on unlocking that bottleneck rather than hit my head against the wall another five times for every project that I would be working on. So I decided to leave my work at Illumina and start Back then, in my mind, it was a project <laughs> on facilitating data access. And I thought, okay, how can I make such a project happen? Well, it's something that's of benefit to everybody. It's of benefit to the research community. It's of benefit to the patients. So clearly, this has to be a charity. That was what I thought. Yes. So I left Illumina and I started a charity. DNA Digest. Exactly, yes. yeah. So I started DNA Digest with the idea and the, the vision that with this entity, we would be able to enable data access, create a, a platform that could facilitate data access, become the trusted broker but it didn't take long to realize that although there was lots of support from the community, everybody thought that's a great idea. This is very much needed. We'd like to see it succeed. In order to bring something like that to fruition, you need to invest a lot of resources mm. up front because me as a single person, there's a limit to how much I can either develop a program or facilitate or launch it on my own. And if you want to build a technology platform, if you want to bring it to market, actually that's already quite a lot of investment. Yes, and I remember thinking that it was something that should be done either by a government or by the Wellcome Trust or something, rather than something that was investable in. And that's I think why I was hopefully I wasn't rude, but that's why <laughs> <laughs> in that first meeting. Yeah, so the the thing is that 
I mean, some projects are suitable for government funding to like explore new avenues or if something has to be on maintenance support, if, if there's enough support to keep it on maintenance. But if you want to really make a change to how things operate, you have to operate outside those existing institutions. So you need to s- sort of <laughs> step out of the system in order to help the system. Yes, <laughs> and but you need funding. <laughs> and, and then you need funding in yes. order to do that, right? So how long did it take between these initial conversations and realizing you had to morph somewhat in order to get commercial funding? So it took about a year and a half before spinning out Repositive as a separate entity. So probably for the first half year or so, I tried very hard to make it work within the charity and then quickly came to realize, actually, if we need funding, it's not going to come from government grants. It has to be investment funding. If it has to be investment funding, we need an investable commercial entity and to have an investable commercial entity it can't be under the charity because if you do that no investor would touch it (laughs) so So you're funding this with savings at this point or any grant no uh, (laughs) no grants no savings (laughs) (laughs) no food (laughs) um so it it is funny because i left my job at illumina with no savings uh, no backup plan and i had just moved into a new place with my boyfriend and he didn't have a job (laughs) recipe for not success at this point anyway you are successful let's carry on through so you went through this process you got a lot of advice I suspect maybe conflicting slightly from various people including me I remember having this conversation saying yes you've got to have a plan in order to raise funding yeah absolutely and I made use of lots and lots of advices I think that's part of what helped develop the plan to the point even where it is today and as it continues to develop Thanks to reaching out to people, say, okay, I have this idea. How can I make that real? And then people come with all sorts of ideas. Oh, you should do like this. You should do like that. And once you listen to all the feedback and then you sort of combine the ideas into something that's actually feasible, you find out, okay, actually, one says A and one says B, but actually the route I need to take is X, (laughs) 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 which is a, a combination of the bits and parts that actually fit into this particular situation. Excellent. Okay, so are you still running the charity? Is the charity in existence? Yeah, the, the yeah. charity still exists. It has also taken some twists and turns because ever since the beginning, there's been no budget as such. There's no income stream for the charity. So the only way of running activities is through volunteers contributing their time and once in a while doing events where there's sponsors of the events. Right. Um, but that's the, the only activities that are happening in, in the charity. Whereas with Repositive, since we spun out of DNA Digest and suddenly became investable, we attracted the attention of the angel investor community in Cambridge and London. And then since we closed our first round in January 2015, we've build a team, we build a product and starting to bring it to market. So it's all coming together then. Yeah, let's go through the in stages. So the, the investment, the team and the technology as well. So let's, let's, you, you've had three funding rounds, I think. Yeah. So what sort of sizes were those? So the first two were primarily angel rounds. So the, the first one was 200k from angels, second one 500k and then the third one two and a half million. Of which pounds. you got quite yeah. a lot from a fund in Germany, didn't you? Yeah, so in the latest round, we got uh, Ananda, the Social Venture Fund, on board, and they invested alongside uh, Amadeus Capital and Jonathan Milner. So the three of them together were our the lead investor. Of that, yeah, yes, yeah. Okay. So has the business plan pivoted as well? I mean, your ideas are changing, or do you think if we open the deck up now, it would look the same as what you, the 20 or so, 25 people here are doing? Interestingly, the mission has stayed the same. 
But that was also intentional from the beginning. So mm. From the time that we spun out Repositive out of DNA Digest, we incorporated the mission into the articles to make it clear that this is the reason for existence of this company. Right. We're here to f facilitate data access for genomics research for the benefit of patients. So there's no question about what we're here to do. But how we do it, mm. that can change. Yes. So we've been looking at, okay, how do we bring this to market? Okay, this seems to go a bit slow. Let's see where we get the traction. And most recently, we've got a lot of traction in facilitating access to data on tumor models, mm. which is, of course, directly facilitating cancer research. Although it's a slight deviation from accessing data for the purpose of accessing data, it's actually part of facilitating this global platform for data access right. that we want to build. So we have found the route to where we want to go through where there's the biggest pull from the market. Exactly. And presumably they will pay for this as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're following the customers to some extent, aren't you? Which yeah. is a great thing to yeah. do because yeah. customer money <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is yeah. proven money. It proves yeah. the product market fit and also pays some of the bills. So. Absolutely. So at the moment, what mix of customers have you then? So we are partnering both with uh, Biopharma, who have big research labs. They want fast access, easy access to data because any minute they waste is a lot of money wasted. Um, so a biopharma is one of the big drug companies, is it? Yes. So, for example, we have uh, AstraZeneca and Boeing Ingelheimer, two our yeah. first customers, and now we have a handful of others that are waiting in line to be part of our platform as we launch the beta in the spring. And then we have about a dozen biotech companies that are providing the biopharma with services, and they, in this context, they're the data providers. So they're the commercial companies that are providing data in order to enable the biopharma to access their services. So all of these companies are our customers. Right. And is there any public data? I mean, my wife years ago worked for a company called BioWisdom, which I mm -hmm. think I introduced you a long time ago, yeah. Gordon Baxter, which was trying to combine private and public databases. Yeah. So part of the first thing we did to launch our public platform was that we started indexing all the public data repositories because we knew that's where there's a lot of data. And by putting all the supply on the platform, we'll get the, the users to come and see the benefit of this resource. So we did that almost as a matter of fact. It's an necessary requirement in order for the platform to be useful. But the extra added value that we bring on top of that is all the additional data sources that nobody knows about, just because you, if you never heard about a data source, you're never going to go there to ask for access mm. to the data. And so to bring that visibility, we're adding commercial companies, biobanks, uh, private repositories, all those different data sources also being indexed on the platform. So that gives our users a broad visibility. And it was looking at this broader market that we suddenly stumbled across this particular niche where there was a huge pull from the biopharma. We need a solution here. We need this solution uh, now and we're happy to pay for it. And how easy has it been to find people? We're based here about half a mile, well, less than that, a quarter mile from Cambridge Station, but you were further in the north of Cambridge. Yeah, so initially it was very easy to find people because um, a lot of the people that we needed, uh, me and my co-founder Adrian, we found them in our network and we were almost bragging about how easy it was for us to hire people because we looked for someone and then someone from our network would step up and say, yeah, I can help you with that. And we, we would go hire them. So initially it was very easy. Now we're entering a, a different stage of the company where we need to get more experienced people in faster and we can't find them fast enough using our networks. So now we're starting to use recruiters to go get specialist people. Um, so for example, we've recently done a, a search for a commercial director to come and assist with these biopharma sales because in our networks of 
bioinformatics people, where would we find a, an experienced exactly. commercial person? <laughs> you go, oh. So at some point you realize, okay, that's outside my network, we need to really go find some specialists to help us. Including, in fact, outside your geographical network, because yeah. this sort of person might be based in New York or something, Absolutely, they? yeah. Indeed. You made a slight restructuring, which you were quite open about a few months ago. Yep. Can you explain the process to why yeah. you need to do it and how you did it and the result of it? As a startup, we're always working on basically fixed budget and fixed timelines because you only have the money that's on the bank account, but you need to operate as if you have more than that because you will, of course, continue beyond the extent of your funding. But at the same time, you need to be very strict in prioritizing, okay, what do we need to achieve in order to get to the next stage of funding or to get to the next stage of revenue in order to, to fund ourselves? And we realized about a, a quarter ago that our next stage of company milestones was all about delivering product to market and realizing then that the composition of our team was I don't know if it was 50-50, but there was much more of the non-product and, and tech team that was part of, t and the majority of our expenses is on salaries, right? Mm. And we realized we need to hire a lot on the product and tech team, but it doesn't make sense for the company to have a big expense also in, for example, marketing and outreach until we have the product to market. Right. So we did a restructuring where we ended up having uh, some redundancies in order to make that change. And just the realization to have to let people go because that's not what the company needs right now was quite hard. Very painful because yeah. you get to know that some of these people might have been with you a couple of years or more. Yeah. I'm sure the culture in this place is excellent, yeah. knowing you fairly well. And that must have been really difficult. It, it, was, it was really difficult because it feels like you have to sort of say goodbye to a family member. And, and you know, you have to sort of distinguish between what is your personal relation to that person and what is it that the company needs now. Mm. As it turns out, once the people who were affected by the restructuring, they understood what was the reasoning behind this, they then took it very well and very supportive of the change, yet realized this is what Repositive needs and we're also interested in the company to succeed. And I've, all of them I've been in touch with recently, they've all gone on to find a new job. So, you know, change is not necessarily bad, it's just a change. Yeah. And then for everybody to understand that it's for the benefit of the company, and if it's for the benefit of the company, then everybody can get on better. And the morale, probably a little dip, and has it fully yeah, recovered? Fully yeah. recovered, yeah. yeah. Both the people leaving and the people staying. Oh, well yeah. done. That's really yeah. well done. So, Fiona, you must have learned so much in the last six, seven years. Can you give us some tips for entrepreneurs? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I have to say there's never an end to learning. And every day in a startup is a learning experience. It is also challenging to be learning every day. And it's exhausting to be learning every day, which is part of why being an entrepreneur is this roller coaster ride, because you <laughs> go between being excited about the thing you just learned to being bummed down by, oh, what is this thing that I don't know how to do? Yes. <laughs> <So> <laughs> or a key member of staff leaving or a customer yeah. getting annoyed. Yeah. Or and, and then because those are all the things, because whether it's about the customers or it's about the team or it's about the strategy or it's about the investors, all those things, every time you experience it, it's for the first time. right? So at least for me, if you're the first time entrepreneur. So when people come to me and I often give talks for like students or at the university and then they come to me and say, oh, I, I, I want to start a company. It's my big dream to start a company. Oh, uh, should I start a company? I say, no. <laughs> and then, then they look shocked and like, why, why do you tell me don't start a company? I say, well, if you can't take a no, you shouldn't start a company. That's a great retort, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and then they go like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> like, well, you, you better get used to it because if you want to start a company, you need to know, ex well, not know exactly what you want to, but you need to be very, very driven on what you want to achieve because if you don't have a good reason to, or have good motivation to put all that effort into it, you're going to hit the first block on the road and you're going to fall over. Mm. And then it's not going to happen. So unless you're at the point where you're willing to give it what it takes, don't even start. Mm. Perhaps I should try that myself. <laughs> I'll attribute to you, don't worry. <laughs> so any other tips? I think one of the things that I think has been part of us making the progress as we have with Be Positive has been the willingness to take on advice. You know, it, it's always very difficult if you go ask for advice and people say, oh, yeah, I did such and such and it was this and this and I have this and this opinion. And you go like, yeah, that doesn't apply. But if you listen to all advice and say that doesn't apply, then you're not learning anything. But the more you can learn from other people's experience, the more you <laughs> save yourself from hurting yourself badly and making those experiences firsthand. <laughs> so it's really important to listen to advice. You know, if you can avoid making the same mistakes as other people did, you know, why make the same mistakes again, right? This is what this project's all about, yeah. Invest Invest. It's all about that, listening yeah. to people like you, giving these ideas, not ideas, but suggestions that stops people from making mistakes. Yeah. So Fiona, final question. I've got a rough idea of how old you are. I know you're a lot younger than me. What do you think you're going to be doing in 10 or 15 years' time? You know, this journey will continue. You've got investors in it and investors will want to exit themselves they may not you might not want to maybe you want to be running this in 20 years time have you thought that through well i think 10 years from now i'm still running repositive we're global platform very successful at that point i'll take more time for myself <laughs> and more time for my family and i'll probably do more of the activities related either to the charity more of the public engagement part and mentoring young entrepreneurs i think excellent that's a great answer so fiona it's been really good talking to you i've learned a lot despite the fact i've been a shareholder for the last three <laughs> years just shows i have too big a portfolio possibly it's been really great good luck thank you very thanks. much thank, thank you. you thanks for listening to another investor investor podcast you can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website investorinvestor.com or via a number of online podcast platforms and be sure to follow us on twitter linkedin and facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting and insightful content. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.